Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Everybody. Welcome to this week's episodes of Building Teams with Teams & Co. Today we're here with Chris Gorgeous from Thompson & Prince, which is a brand strategy and consultancy agency. Hey, Chris. Hey there. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Good. How are you today? Good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We, uh, we are looking forward to hearing all about your work. So maybe you could just share with our listeners a little bit about what you do at Thompson & Prince and, and who you serve. Yeah, so uh, Thompson & Prince is a creative agency that I've been running for about three years now. We primarily focus on brand strategy and design for early stage ventures and small businesses. We're located here in Raleigh and as of last week, have an office back in New York now uh, where we originally founded the company. And we, we offer a pretty broad range of services, kind of anything that entails visual and verbal storytelling. So naming, logo design, visual identity, positioning, messaging, marketing, collateral, and website design and development. Um, so, you know, we, we partner up with early stage and growing companies to set their brand foundations and then send them off to work with other agencies that might do their advertising and their marketing. And so we, we kind of like to be there at the very earliest stages. That's awesome. Yeah. We talk to our clients a lot about how do you get to know your customer, right? So at Teams & Co, we have three major pillars. We we say you need to know what your customers find valuable. You need to set a strategy to achieve that. And then you need to empower your teams to be able to deliver on that strategy. Um, and brand obviously goes a lot to the beginning of that. So how do you work with your clients around discovering who their customer is, what's the value they provide, and, and how does that influence how you build out some of that brand collateral in the beginning? Yeah, well, I mean, depends depends on the deliverable. So what we do is it's never a prepackaged you know, you have to do this entire engagement end to end. What we do is very a la carte. And so sometimes we have that opportunity and sometimes we we just cross our fingers and hope that our clients have done the work and done the diligence to really understand their clients and their customers. But when we're doing brand strategy work and naming work, it's very important for us to get a solid understanding of who their who their customer base is um, and who they're selling to. I, I always use the phrase that we're not just putting on a, co a pretty coat of paint we're not here just to make a product or or a service or or a website look good. We're actually here to make sure again we're we're telling that story. And so hopefully it looks good, but it needs to look good for a target audience. Um, we're not designing a beautiful direct consumer brand with a bunch of really cool quirky animations if that target audience isn't going to want to see that. So you know, and and we address that by having a wide range of designers and developers that, that we access through our platform and through our network. So we don't have that direct consumer CPG designer designing for an AI enterprise solution. We, we are very strategically driven in trying to help our, our clients guide toward telling the right stories to the right people. And we do that by kind of talking to them, learning from them. And every now and then we have the opportunity to do some design thinking and talk to actual customers and talk to clients but it kind of varies from client to client. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's, that's really valuable. We, we often stress that in terms of getting to know your customer, have the conversations, get the feedback. Um, that way you're not guessing, right? You know what you're providing. There's also sometimes, as we all talk about that, you know, there's things that you want to move beyond, right? A customer may not know they want something until you deliver it. So, um, but I think in that brand strategy piece of it, getting a lot of the voice of the customer 
is super valuable. But one of the things that struck me when you were chatting was you were saying that you refer them on or they'll use other partners later on. And I think one of the things I've just been super impressed, Chris and I met each other through networking in in the Raleigh area. And one of the things I'm always impressed with is, is your ability to network and your ability to create those meaningful relationships. It's kind of almost like an extended team, so to speak, where if you don't provide a service for a client, you'll recommend them to somebody that you do know that does that and does it well. And, you know, the thing that resonated with me when you were talking about it is making sure they're getting the best possible service for the thing they want versus, you know, just making sure that they they get to that right spot. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you see your network as kind of an extended team almost in, in terms of providing that exceptional experience to your clients or or maybe they don't even become your client because you're like, hey, you know what? Somebody else does that a little bit better than we do that. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that with us. Yeah, it was. It, it seems like a post-COVID or a COVID decision that my team is fully distributed and I have such an extensive referral network, but it really isn't. And it wasn't me having extensive foresight or being smart or getting ahead of the market. It was when when I founded the agency. You know, it's it's an up and down business, and I didn't. I was afraid to have full time employees who I might have to lay off or might have to might have to let go or cut down if client work slowed down. And so in order to solve for that, that little bit of fear as a first time founder, I determined that I was going to have a very network driven approach internally. And I kind of reached out to folks who I had, I had met in over the, the first few years of working in the creative in- industry in New York. And I kind of created my my network of folks who I trusted who wanted to work on projects with me. And then by extension, I did start trying to fill those gaps and starting to say, you know, we want to really focus on that core list of stuff that we do from naming to website. And I, as a strategic lead, as a creative lead, as a project director, I'm not going to add as much value on a videography project. I'm not going to add as much value on a really cool, experiential, immersive advertising program. And and also, we we are very selective. And again, we we work with earlier stage companies. And so we're not going to work on a million dollar branding project for Red Hat or for IBM. Um, it's just too big for us. It's not the intent of what I've been trying to build. But I also don't want to ever say no to anyone. And so it's just a matter of serving as a creative hub, which is the the phrase the phrasing we use on the homepage of our website. You know, it's it's just a matter of having a certain set of tools and skills and a network that can add value to folks that for whatever reason, come to me or find my firm. And if and if they're looking for something across the creative spectrum, it's advantageous for my company to be able to make those connections. And there are a lot of karma points involved, but there's there's a there's a business model there as well where I have mutual referral agreements in place. And that kind of allows everybody to both help one another, but also understand that, you know, there's a financial element to smartly making curated introductions. I mean, there are entire companies out there that do search for clients to help them find the right agencies. And so we're just doing a, a version of that for clients that aren't a perfect fit for our kind of Goldilocks zone of stage and, and, and founder fit and, and all the things that we look for in a client. I always say if, if I could figure out a way to make a living just making connections, I would do it. But I don't want to be a recruiter. And I kind of like the work that we do. So for now, this is a good way to satiate that need and that interest. Chris, that's great. I like the model because one of the things I really like about it is we speak to so many companies that are growing, right? So our kind of perfect customer at Teams Co. is that growth stage organization. So a little later than the customer that you're working with. And 
one of the things we always focus on them is you can't do everything, right? When you're a growing organization and you, especially when you want to grow fast, you can't be everything to every consumer. You have to figure out who you're serving and make sure you're providing the most value to that customer, right? And I think the initial kind of thought from a lot of folks is, oh, let's do everything because then people will choose us versus let's do something really, really well. And then we can expand once we've mastered that, right? And so we kind of, we prescribed that latter thing, which is pick your thing that you're great at. And then yes, expand over time, but make sure you're really developing an exceptional offering. And, and I love what you're saying because it speaks to that, right? Like we know who our niche is, we know who our customers, we know what we can provide that's valuable, but we also know, you know, we want to be able to say yes to customers and we want to be able to help people. And then therefore, if I refer you to somebody who's going to be able to provide that for you, I'm still providing a value to you, right? So it's a great way that you and your organization have figured out, okay, how do we provide value even if it's not within the core items that we do? And I just, I like that. I, it really it really sounds to us that the customer is then at the center of your organization, right? Even if you're not doing the project, you want to make sure that they they find that good fit. Yeah. I mean, I think I think our clients and even those, like you mentioned, who end up not being our clients really appreciate the approach. And again, that's where a lot of the karma points come in. But every now and then they'll come back and say, you know what, you referred me to somebody else to do naming because our budget wasn't high enough and we didn't love it. So let's do a version where we can kind of clean up that process. And sometimes that naming project will turn into a logo project, which will turn into a website project. So, you know, I think there are so many great creative individuals, agencies, et cetera, in the world. I don't really see a reason to force the issue if something doesn't feel like a fit right now, um, because there's always going to be something else out there. And that's not to say that in the earlier stages of building a company, uh, you don't say yes to more than, than you say no. Um, but I always think that's an important milestone when you get to a point where you really are able to say yes to things that fit and say no to things that don't, because it really serves a dual advantage of allowing you to work on what you're good at and, and you're serving clients who you, you care a little bit more passionately about. Um, and that in, in turn just leads to better work. How do you tend to work with clients? So what we, we obviously, we talk a lot about teams, right? So we talk about customer, but we also talk a lot about teams. So how do you work with your client team in a way that you feel like, okay, we've got a nice process, right? Like sometimes that internal, external kind of partnership can go sideways. So what are some of the ways that you like to work with clients to make sure, hey, we're all on the same page. We all have the same goals. Uh, where do we go from here? I think it goes sideways more often than not. Uh, you can you can lead a horse to water, but you know we have a set of processes in place. We're very collaborative in using things like Google Docs and you know trying to actively get comments out of clients when we're putting work product out there. But every every client's different. You know, it's an it's a relationship with an individual or individuals. And I have some clients who want to work on Slack. I have some clients who want to track their project in Trello. I have some clients who don't care. I send them stuff and they'll they'll send responses over email or they'll want to set up a call and I'll have to sit there and take notes or, or have somebody take notes for me. So I think it's important to have an idea of what the process might look like. But my only hard and fast rule is that it has to be iterative and it has to be collaborative. If a client just expects us to deliver and then iterate on our own without their input, that's where we can kind of come across problems and moving projects forward. And again, that's another thing where we try to be picky and we put that out there at the very outset in original conversations where if a client doesn't want to be part of the process and be engaged and express their feelings and their feedback, then it might not be a great fit. 
So if it, if it ends up being on Google Docs or over email or over Slack, that's irrelevant. It's more about the intent of, of always being collaborative and always being transparent and providing uh, detailed feedback whenever possible. That's awesome. We we have a similar approach, which is uh, especially when we what we work on is a lot of the change management, a lot of the process development, and and you have to have the internal buy in, right? You have to have the internal leaders really being involved, or else it's hard to set a direction for an organization when you're not part of that organization and you won't be living it every day. And so I love that. But the other thing I I heard out of that that I think is valuable for leaders is is having a tie to a certain approach, right? Like your approach is you want to be collaborative and you want that feedback. But then being open to the other person to say, hey, what's the best way that we can make this work for you? And I think a lot of times leaders are like, no, we have to have a weekly one-on-one and it has to be in person and it has to be under these kinds of things. And and their team member may be like, well, could we do it on a video call or could we yeah. do it bi-weekly for an hour versus weekly for a half hour? And that flexibility, I think, speaks volumes about the leadership style that you're that you're building and, and that you have in terms of, hey, I have a certain amount of things that are kind of required for me, right? I want to be collaborative. I want iteration, but I'm also willing to kind of bring collaboration to the table and, and hear how somebody else works and, and work within that guideline. Yeah. And it, it always shifts. I'm trying to think I have two clients right now that I have weekly stand-up meetings with. And at the outset, based on the deliverables that we had defined in the process, I didn't really think they were going to be necessary. And we end up canceling them more often than not. So, you know, yeah. it gave them the comfort that we at least set the meeting up and we put it on the calendars. But, it, you know, it ends up getting canceled because we've kind of collaborated over over different media and it ends up not being necessary. And so I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to cancel a meeting. That's a, that's a valuable lesson for everybody. We actually had a similar conversation with one of our early on podcast guests, Susanna L. Harris. Um, and we were talking about the same thing, which is sometimes with teams, too, the way that we're all moving so quickly it's easier to set the time up and cancel it versus try to find the time last minute, right? Like yeah. all of our calendars are packed. So uh, I like that approach because you kind of get the calendar time and then everybody, I've never met anybody who doesn't love to be given 30 minutes back in their calendar at some point. Like, I feel like it's the best win ever is just yeah. to be like, Hey, you know what? We don't need that meeting. So you totally have a free 30 minutes to catch up on whatever you need to catch up on. <laughs> yeah. Always a canceled meeting is usually, usually a good part of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I know personally, I always love to get 30 minutes back. And, and it, it also shows that you're kind of getting, you're building that alignment, right? So we say this to leaders often, which is, hey, you might need with a new employee, or if you're a new leader, you might need those weekly check-ins. But the more accustomed you get, and the more kind of real-time feedback you're able to give, that cadence may back off, right? Like you may find right. like, hey, we only need every other week. So like, we don't have to, we don't have to meet weekly if we don't need to, right? Yeah. So maybe you keep the weekly and you only do like three a month or two a month or whatever it is. So yeah, for sure. So when you're kind of thinking about, obviously things are opening up and I know that you, you mentioned you're opening a, or reopening, I guess, kind of getting back to your roots in New York City. What does that process look like for your organization? How are you planning that change and how are you kind of managing that? Like what's kind of your leadership mindset as you think about, okay, I need to operate in two locations versus one? Well, for me, it's, uh, I mean, it's a baby step. I'm, I'm getting an apartment in New York and I'm planning on at the outset, most likely being in North Carolina 65, 70% of the time, and then being in New York the remainder to kind of recultivate a number of relationships and partnerships that I had built over the nine years I was in New York. And also interestingly, on the team front, I have team members that I've been now working with for the past year that I met through New York networks, but I've never met in person. 
But there are people on my team that I look forward to getting in a room with a whiteboard every now and then. So it's, you know, it serves a number of purposes for, for client cultivation and, and, and client relationship building, but also connecting with, with my actual team and probably, you know, finding new team members, just, just being in New York, being somewhere else with, with a different set of people. I've, I've really enjoyed, you know, the beginnings of developing relationships in kind of the step, the startup and tech ecosystem here in, in the triangle. But I also need to kind of pay a little bit of credence to the work that I did in, in the other area. So it'll be a little bit stressful going back and forth, and it might feel a little bit arbitrary at times. But I think there are, you know, there are advantages to being in, in both areas. And a lot of people do the bi-coastal thing. So I'm just doing a different version of that. Um, I guess it's, you know, it's usually New York and L.A. or New York and San Francisco. So Raleigh is my L.A. So it's a little bit better because you're in the, at least in the same time zone. So you don't yeah. have all the switches of time zones. <laughs> yeah. No, no waking super early in California. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I used to have a lot of those trips when I worked in a corporate role. We were going out to California very often from the East Coast. And I'd always find myself up at four o'clock in the morning with no source to coffee and be like, I, I just really need coffee. <laughs> yeah. No, no thanks to that. no that's awesome i think that are there things that as you think about the differences obviously there's a lot of differences between new york and raleigh i'm a i'm a native new yorker i grew up on long island so i i'm aware of the the differences between the two places but from an ecosystem kind of startup perspective are there are there different types of companies that you think are kind of in each area like how do you see the kind of complement or the differences between those two areas I think, I mean, the New York ecosystem has changed a lot since I first moved to New York. So I moved to New York in 2011. And I remember going to a conference in 2011 or 12. And, you know, I I had moved up from DC after being in DC for five years. And so to me, it was like there were tech startups everywhere. It was crazy. It was really cool. And I went to a conference and, and one of the speakers was more based in Silicon Valley. And he said, you know, you guys think you have a lot going on here, but yeah, it was some kind of statistic around venture investment. He's like, you guys raised 7% of what we raised in San Francisco last year. And it was primarily retail, healthcare, a couple of fintech areas. Uh, Etsy was starting to get big. And and so in the past nine, 10 years, New York has, has evolved, has, has had a few more large successes in, in the startup world. Um, and so it's interesting kind of pulling out of that ecosystem as it is starting to mature a little bit. I'm sure the numbers are still relatively low compared to, to the Valley, um, but it's kind of like I've jumped into another smaller ecosystem and I don't know what the data is, but it's probably like I made that step down again. You know, you have people in the triangle who who recognize that there's a lot of interesting opportunity and a lot of growth here, but it's, it's so tiny compared to New York. Um, and it is kind of, from my experience, in very broad strokes, there's a lot of enterprise software um, with the legacy of, of SaaS and, and Red Hat's success of being acquired by IBM. Um, and then, you know, the legacy players like Lenovo and, and Cisco, et cetera, in, in the area. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see beyond enterprise B2B SaaS software and, you know, obviously a lot of success in biopharma technology to see if another niche comes out of that. And you never know where it'll come from. It's kind of like a Malcolm Gladwell tipping point. You know, some random spark will happen somewhere and you never know 10 years from now, maybe Raleigh will be a big hub for 
CPG startups because um, I know there are investors here who who have made some really interesting CPG plays. I do I work out of the Loading Dock sometime, which is a co-working organization built on the back of of a really cool CPG company. You know, there there are overlaps in the ecosystems, but then there are interesting similarities and kind of that aspiration. I think for so long the Valley has been the peak of performance in the startup world, and so I guess I like these kind of little challenger ecosystems and challenger opportunities you know there's a ton of difference it's a lot smaller here but there's a lot of similarity and we'll see it'll be interesting to see where raleigh is 10 years from now as far as that growth trajectory goes yeah i agree i think there's a lot of movement in north carolina in general um obviously raleigh durham is is kind of the the place that folks think about especially for healthcare startups but you've got you know wilmington lots of great things coming out of there lots of great stuff coming out of western north carolina and Asheville, and uh, i think the venture kind of startup scene so to speak in north carolina is definitely growing quickly but to your point there's there's a lot of you know hubs around the us that are that are really leading the way i think one of the things i love being here in north carolina is kind of the scrappiness right like mm -hmm. there's a little bit of that underdog mentality that's like hey we're going to definitely get a big win uh, and get a big win for north carolina and the and the ecosystem here so I find it to be fun because uh, there's just a little bit of a different kind of feel to it that I that I enjoy when I'm working with startups and kind of those growth stage companies. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, lots of more big wins coming. Um, just this this the Spoonflower acquisition uh, just last week, I believe, 225 million to Etsy. You know, having the new Apple multi-billion-dollar Apple facility here, which is going to lead to a really interesting impact on talent. You know, it's going to be really really interesting to watch. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty there's plenty coming down the the road for North Carolina and then obviously also New York as as things are as things are picking up speed. So we look forward to hearing updates from you about how the uh, the dual city locations go for you and kind of and uh, we wish you the best of luck in that. But are there anything else exciting that you want to share with us that's kind of happening at Thompson and Prince right now that you want us to be aware of and kind of give our listeners a a sneak peek to? I wish we were recording this in about two weeks because I have some things that are kind of formulating. But, you know, I think if, if people follow me on LinkedIn and things like that, I think we've discussed that I've basically been sitting in my apartment by myself for a little over a year now. Um, and I'm starting to go outside a little bit now. But I had something like 250, maybe 300 introductory calls. You were one of them through first flight. And so I have all these people who seem really awesome and interesting and great uh, who I haven't met face to face. I went to um, a happy hour two weeks ago um, that was hosted by Gretbeat and, and a few other folks. And I'm sh I think that happy hour is full of people that I know, but nobody was wearing name tags. So I don't know who they are. I don't know their faces. I know their names. I email them. Um, so I'm going to have a happy hour and, and get people together in a room together and try to connect some of these faces with not even names, like faces with email addresses. And there's another thing that I'm thinking thinking through a little bit and probably building some partnerships around kind of a hackathon approach to branding that I think will be another really interesting way to get get folks together in kind of the overlap of the tech ecosystem and the creative agency world. No, no full details on that yet. Well, we will definitely post all of the, the LinkedIn and social media kind of contacts in our show notes so folks can follow you and if you keep us up to date, we'll share it on our network as well. So we can we can reach out to listeners and provide an update from the podcast and and get as many uh, folks kind of following you as possible and, and learning about these new secret endeavors. I, I feel like this is a good teaser. Well, Chris, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Um, 
we look forward to hearing what's coming next in the next few weeks and, and definitely stay in touch because we want to we want to learn about how things are going in New York versus North Carolina. And and again, we just uh, we appreciate you sharing what it's like to kind of work with clients and how do you build that team across internal and external and also with networks. It's been a it's been a fun conversation. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thanks. Have a good week, everybody. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice.